see what pro football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. But as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I will be very careful by slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. It is your week one preview. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. That's right. I'm here from uh, parents' basement, but we can still do it here, Sam. You ready to go, man? We made it, Steve. We made it. It's football. It's back. Real football. Actual football. Not stuff that is off-season, hype, rubbish, whatever, ways of killing time. We made it. The season starts today. Which means we are in season mode. We are now in season mode. And what does season mode look like for us? Well, we're going to preview every single game every single week. And that's going to show up right now, Thursday at noon, live on YouTube. God willing, of course. Uh, We usually are on time, Thursday afternoons at noon. Um, And then Monday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern. Are we still at 7 a.m.? Oh, man, I was trying to sleep in a little bit. But we're still back at 7 a.m. live on YouTube. And then... The third show, which is what we did last year, we'll have the extra show on Wednesday. That's also going to be at noon, live on YouTube. And, of course, wherever you're listening to us, podcast land, it'll show up in your feed. Wednesday will be a special show, though, Sam. We're trying to get some guests and really do some fun Thursday night preview type of stuff every week. Yeah, that's it. We're going to try and get some big guests on to help us preview the specific week's Thursday games, you know, because we it t- they tend to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. The Wednesday show is a lot of mailbag stuff and, you know, some cool things that we'll keep doing. But we also want to bring on, you know, a legit NFL name and help us preview that game. And if possible, we'll get them to, you know, make a pick, throw a little bet in there as well, where they are NFL people and therefore not allowed to do that lest they get Calvin Ridley out of the game. We will have a different uh, way of doing it. I think we'll have some kind of fan bet that will be that week's prediction. And we'll kind of go head-to-head with the people that we have on. We'll go head-to-head with the fans. Um, That will be a kind of week-by-week thing, depending on who the guest is. Yeah, and then the other thing, too. So that's our schedule for the season. And we appreciate everybody that's been with us for for years. I don't know what season we're in here, Sam, but this is like year seven or whatever of six or seven of us being together uh in cincinnati and we've been doing this since like 2012 2013 so appreciate everybody that's been with us uh one last thing before we get into all of the game previews or two two more things here it is pff nfl daily that's where you get your bills rams preview that's live right now second thing is the charity drive we're about what a hundred dollars away or so from getting to see sam try to pitch 60 miles an hour we are $105 away from reaching the $2,500 goal, whereupon we will see if I can hit 60 miles an hour. And again, just literally five minutes before you came in here, Trevor Sikama was out here telling me there's no chance I can hit 60. So even within the building at this late stage, there are still doubters. I shall prove them wrong once we hit another 105 bucks, And that won't be, you know, the final tally that goes to Need Zinc, the group that Uh, provide service dogs for people that don't have $60,000 sitting around in their back pocket. We will have some kind of side bet going, me and you, based off the 60 uh, miles per hour limit. I will also rope Trevor into that since the man is such a doubter, and we will have some kind of 
extra sum of money that gets attached to this after we do the whole thing and figure out whether I can hit 60 or not. So my pinned tweet, at PFF underscore Sam, the description of this podcast, go and donate, get us over that $2,500 goal, and then we can fire this thing up, unleash the cannon, prove that I can pitch a ball faster than John Daly could rolling off the couch in his beers, and, uh, and you know, look smug. Did you get uh, an MPH reading on uh, John Daly? That no, looked I didn't. pretty good from the side. Well, look, yeah, on the in the spectrum of open, you know, first pitches that people do, it was a pretty good one. He just went out there, threw the ball, the catcher caught it, job done. Um, and it felt uh, you were telling me what fifty? You think that was? I said like fifty four. It looked like he was yeah, he put a little put a little steam on. I mean, it. look, it if looked, that's fifty four, not sixty, but steam. If that was fifty four again, sixty's a lock. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, uh, I want to see it, and we're going to hopefully see it very soon. $105 away. We appreciate everybody that's uh, been a part of that. Mm -hmm. And the very last thing before we start, PFF now has an app, and it's something we'll be referencing quite a bit here on the PFF NFL podcast because it's a great place for you to go in, get all your fantasy football advice, check out PFF's exclusive betting dashboards, and get the latest, latest premium football analysis. The app's free to download right up until the season right now, so go check it out in the app store pff app now available so go check it out yeah there's uh ben ben brown if you follow him on twitter uh, pff ben brown he's got a good thread today about the simulation that he uh timo riska and eric have been working on all offseason to essentially simulate everything to do with football games and essentially build a more accurate model than point spreads than the stuff that uh, the Vegas line produces to create the bets, the, the lines that you're all betting against. Um, and all that data is now folded into the PFF smart bets thing in the app. It And you can go in there, you know, figure out the bets that you like. There's a grading system there. Click and it'll take you straight to the uh, the BetMGM app where you can win a ton of money this season. So we'll, we'll definitely fold that in over the course of this podcast. But go download that now. Go win some money. Let's start the bankroll this week, week one. All right, so let's get into all the games here, Sam. We've got our, Sam, in our working document here, did you put this in order by best games? I don't think that's the case. Uh, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. I don't know if that's best. I don't know. Not, I don't know, Jim. I don't know if you get the best games in the right order. It's week one. We're coming out of the preseason, and I don't, I don't know if you're ready. Full Romo. I don't know if you're ready here, Full Sam. Romo, week one. We'll Roll still on. go in that order. Let's just go in that order and forget about giving a few games more attention. Let's just give every game the attention they deserve. Every We don't have that kind of time, Steve. It's 16, well, whatever that's well, – I said what they deserve. Oh, okay. So Indy right. Houston might not deserve as much, all right? So let's just let's just get into it. Okay. Sound good? Let's go. We'll get we'll get into the proper order next week. All right, so By first the way, game on Pittsburgh wait, before Steelers. We, before we start, we have to get it on record because we'll, we previewed the Bills-Rams in the daily. You can go listen to that. We won't spend a lot of time on it here, but – we have to get the official prediction in now before the game. So okay, this is our okay. Bills Rams. This is our prediction. It's a two point spread. The Rams are underdogs at home, coming off a Super Bowl win. Yeah, I'm taking Buffalo. I think I su- I got suckered in by the guy that said Stafford might not start. I'm like, nope, give me the Bills just in case, just in case. Fellow tendonitis survivor right here, just like Matthew Stafford. I know it takes a little bit of time. Tendonitis you know? survivor. It affected my ER. Go check out my ERA in 08 in AAA. Stafford's ERA could be through the roof here. So uh, give me the Bills. I think that the Bills are a – they're legitimately the favorite for the Super Bowl for a good reason. Um, But I think they match up actually quite badly with the Rams. I'm picking the Rams to win outright at home. 
Pretty sure I picked the Rams on the actual show on the daily, but I've changed. Well done, this well is done. the official, official one. So All right, right so somewhere. give me the Bills. Uh, minus two. So we're going to keep track of our of our uh, picks throughout the year. Is that right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, want to know for me. We're going head-to-head with that one. All right, let's get into the Sunday slate. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cincinnati Bengals as of right now. And we, we can only use the line that's presented to us at the moment here. So Cincinnati Bengals favored by six and a half. Our hometown Cincinnati Bengals, they swept the Steelers last year. A little bit of turnover for Pittsburgh. Mitchell Trubisky gets the start after they drafted Kenny Pickett in the first round. So a whole new world in Pittsburgh. First time since 2004 without Ben Roethlisberger since 2003, really. So a whole new world in Pittsburgh, whereas Cincinnati's hoping their new world, their new normal is playoffs plus, you know, Super Bowl expectations. A lot of excitement here in Cincinnati. You know, you're uh, you're way too far into the, you know, have kids middle age thing where when you say whole new world, there's like a song that starts playing in the back of your head from Disney <laughs> movies. That's, that's not, not a good thing. Um, Sorry to trigger that for you, man. Yeah, like legitimate PTSD, you know, like Pavlovian reaction. Somebody rings the bell and the do- dog starts to salivate. You say whole new world and there's a song starts in the back of my brain. Um, I mean, just to just to age us again, I mean, B- Big Ben went to college at the same time as us, right? Like, we were like the same graduating <laughs> yeah. class, give or take a little bit, and the dude just retired last year. That was the last time the Steelers had this type of uncertainty at the quarterback position. All three of us have, you know, had the middle-age spread thing where you start to pack on a few pounds around the midriff, you know, the, the mobility mm. starts to go. You actually trotting around that field with your baseball game the other day looked a lot like Ben Roethlisberger escaping from a pocket these days. It was I a did. similar type I did. of movement. I was that slow, which which is like exactly what I'm trying to look at here. A lot of people are saying, and I agree, the Pittsburgh offense could be better because that's how bad Big Ben was last year. Mitch Trubisky or not, Trubisky might at least, you know, throw some YOLO balls down the field a little bit more often. <laughs> yeah, that that's going to be the interesting thing to watch, right, is what does this offense look like? Um, where does it land in the balance between what you lose from Roethlisberger getting the ball out of his hands incredibly quickly fastest average time to throw in the nfl last year fastest the year before that as well he got rid of the ball as quickly as humanly possible every single play basically um and the offensive line still gave up you know a reasonable amount of pressure so where does the balance lie between that which is a bad thing the offensive line is going to have to pass protect for much longer on average this year whether it's trubisky or pickett than they did the last two years with Roethlisberger. That's going to be a, a negative for the offense. But on the positive side, either quarterback is likely to want to push the ball deeper down the field than Roethlisberger did, and both quarterbacks are more mobile than Roethlisberger has been the last two years. So that's a positive for the offense. So where those two things land in terms of balance, in ter- overall net for the offense versus last two years is going to be interesting to watch. And this is obviously the first uh, analysis we have of where that where that's going to fall in the spectrum. Mitchell Trubisky, uh, basically his career, a low to mid-60s PFF grade. Last year, we only saw him for, for a handful of snaps, but um, he's been a bear for the most part. He was with the Bills last year. He did not get a chance to start. It's his first start, uh, not as a Chicago Bear, not with uh, Matt Nagy as his head coach, or at least since 2017. He had John Fox there. Is Mitch does I don't know if we're going to get the answer this week, but can Mitchell Trubisky actually rejuvenate his career? That's the first question. How long can he hold off? <laughs> there you Kenny go. Pickett? See, those are two very different questions to me. Like, 
can I'm already effectively no on can Trubisky rejuvenate his career and are we going to get you know act two where he's a great starting quarterback going forward even if it's not in Pittsburgh my question is how long does this last before he gets the hook from the sideline and the rookie gets thrown out there because I think preseason showed us that the rookie is kind of ready to play he doesn't have to we don't have to spend half the season until they're comfortable with him being the starter. I, if they have to do it midway through this game, I think they're comfortable doing that. So Trubisky's on a ticking clock at this point. He doesn't have very many bad plays before they say, all right, that's enough of that, throw out a picket. I want to make a quick comparison here because last year at this time, we knew that the Bengals didn't have a, a great offensive line. We didn't know exactly what Jamar Chase would be, but almost immediately we did see, okay, that dude's going to be a playmaker in the downfield passing attack in Cincinnati will completely change. And the, the Pittsburgh game last year is when I uh, used one of my examples of why the receiver might be more important than the offensive line. The offensive line got trashed, but Joe Burrow had two seconds to throw. That's all he needed. He throws it up to Jamar Chase, uh, Jamar Chase against the Steelers for a big touchdown. My point is, can the great receivers protect the offensive line? I think the Steelers are, are, are trying that strategy. The offensive line has some turnover this year. You bring in Mason Cole. You bring in James Daniel. The tackles are still a question. So can Trubisky get the ball out of his hands quick enough to a pretty good group of playmakers, Sam? Deontay Johnson freshly re-upped, make it over $18 million a year. George Pickens, who we loved as a first-round pick, who goes in the second round and then Chase Claypool. Can the Steelers have the firepower? Do they have this firepower to, 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 to just match up with Cincinnati? So those are the questions in this game. And I think the Steelers' offense will be more explosive than they were last year, uh, which, again, it was, it was painful at times watching them. Other side, Bengals have that overhauled offensive line, and they get tested right away with T.J. Watt, Mm -hmm. with Cam Hayward, and a pretty good pass rush coming from Pittsburgh here. T.J. Watt um, versus uh, Lyle Collins is going to be a pretty fun week one matchup right out of the gate. You know, Collins has that nasty streak as an offensive lineman. He's a really powerful run blocker. Even at his best, his pass protection was a little bit weaker. So that's just going to be fireworks right out of the gate. All right, man. Anything else you want to watch in this game? What? It, how are we expecting this one to to play out? Can Cincinnati build off of last year's momentum where they uh, were so close to winning their first ever Super Bowl? So this, to me, I, I think the this is a case of a narrative game with both sides. I think people are a little bit too low on Pittsburgh and a little bit too high on Cincinnati across the board. Um, the Bengals, I think there's a lot about their season or a lot about their sort of profile that suggests regression this year. They were 14th last season in EPA per play uh, as an offense, including this, the, the Super Bowl run, including the playoffs. They were 23rd, I think, something like that, in successful play rate. Like, this was an offense driven off explosive plays, which are very volatile and, you know, fluctuate year to year. Um, whereas Pittsburgh, okay, one, Tomlin doesn't lose overall. <laughs> like, the man has never had a losing season despite Duck Hodges being his quarterback for a chunk of time. You know, like, he's done amazing things with some ropey quarterbacks at times. Number two, Pittsburgh's training camps are different from every other team in the league. They are physical. They start hitting immediately. They have way more contact than any other team in the league. And I think that helps them early in the season, particularly, to come out here and shock teams that are not necessarily ready for contact, particularly ones that have been like protecting players in the preseason. And there's been no sort of body tempering going on in terms of adjust or acclimatizing to contact. Um, 
And, and three, what we talked about, the limitations that Roethlisberger was putting on this offense relative to the quarterbacks now. So I think Pittsburgh might be a better team than people are generally expecting them to be, certainly early in the season. So I'm kind of leaning for Pittsburgh not to win the game, but to cover what's almost a touchdown spread to Cincinnati. It's not crazy, Sam. Pittsburgh, remember, they beat Buffalo week one last year. They beat the Bills. The Bills went on to to be what we thought they would be, which was an excellent team competing for the AFC Championship uh, 13 seconds away from that. But Pittsburgh came out firing in week one. So, um, I... Look, I get your point. I, I think Pittsburgh's secondary has a chance to to make life a little bit more difficult for Cincinnati. They've they've added some depth there with Akilla Witherspoon coming back and Levi Wallace coming in. But I like Cincinnati. I think they'll I, I think they will build off last year's momentum. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase spreading it around to to all of those receivers. I think the new offensive line will look good right away. Um and Cincinnati's defense, I think, is going to be the key for this year. Offensive efficiency that you keep mentioning. But then the defense just showing up and uh, having uh, like a second half like they had against Kansas City last year, to be able to, being able to adjust. So give me uh, Cincinnati. It's a, it's a lot of points, six and a half. But I'll take the Bengals the, uh, to cover that in week one. The poll that we have running in the chat live on YouTube has 88% of people have the Bengals at, I assume they're all picking against the spread, um, six at six and a half points. That's That feels a little bit crazy to me. Yeah, if you're in the chat, make sure you're picking against the spread and make sure you're smashing that thumbs up, the like button. That's how we uh, that's how we really take off here, the PFF NFL podcast. So there we go. We're already disagreeing on our first two games. I'm taking the Bengals and you're taking the Steelers. Let's move on to Sunday night football, Tampa Bay Bucks at the Dallas Cowboys. They've got this complicated algorithm to uh, to figure out the schedule every year, Sam. And then sometimes it's like, hey, it's the same exact game that we came up with last year. Mm. It's going to be it's going to be Bucks Cowboys with Chris, the boss on the call. So Sunday night football, uh, by the way, Al Michaels out, Mike Tirico in. Uh, they'll be on the call on Sunday night. Uh, the only difference this year is last year's game was in Tampa Bay. We've got the Bucks favored by two and a half as of right now. And look, I, I think people have soured on Tampa Bay just a touch. Brady takes his leave of absence, is his head all the way there. Gronk has retired. The receivers are all banged up. The offensive line's banged up. It doesn't feel great in Tampa Bay compared to last year when everybody was healthy. But it also doesn't feel great in Dallas where they have four or five key starters that they need to replace. So what are you looking for here? Um, well, the first and only thing I'm focused on in this game is angry Tom Brady we we've made the mistake again we collectively I personally have not made the mistake this time I have long since made this mistake but we've angered the man we've angered Tom Brady the man that lives for the chip on his shoulder that can find a slight in pretty much anything Brady is right up there with Michael Jordan you know that and I took that personally memes like last dance Jordan and Tom Brady share an awful lot of mental similarities Brady, the, you know, the Brady six or whatever, the number of people that were drafted in front of him were like 15 years later and Brady has still moved tears at the concept that people were drafted ahead of him that he since left in the dust while he becomes the greatest quarterback of all time and those guys get washed out of the league. This man lives to prove people wrong to the point where I think there is a non-negligible chance that he's only playing this year because Adam Schefter gazumped his retirement announcement and he's like, no, to hell with that. I'm not, le- I'm not going out that way. I'm not letting no. Schefter 
break the news of my retirement before I was ready to announce it. I'm coming back. I'm going to stick it to him for one last year. I'm going to blow torch the NFL. I'm going to wreck the Dallas Cowboys week one, and I shall go on my terms. <sighs> but the question is, the guy that loves every single rep and, you know, every last calorie that enters his body is is planned and controlled – he skipped 11 days of training camp. He missed. Come on. Uh, he missed a lot of reps. He missed a lot of reps with Russell Gage and with Julio Jones and the whole deal. Is his head still there? It's there once you get to Sundays. Like, who cares if he missed 11 days of training All right. camp? All right. Just making sure. We're just making sure he's there. Uh, so <clears throat> the questions for the Bucks on their offense, Luke Gadecki going to start at left guard. He's a rookie second rounder out of Central Michigan. Robert Hainsey is going to start at center in, in place of Ryan Jensen who's been put on IR. So, yes, that is part of the question is the in, you know the interior of this offensive line. That's where you like to pressure Brady. Not that that's a strategy. That's just a, a place where if it's weak, you're happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that the Cowboys maybe have the pass rushers to, to, to make that impact in this particular game, uh, but they do still have Micah Parsons. Uh, they do have uh, Lawrence on the outside and – you know, I think I think they have a chance to put a little bit of pressure, maybe get uh, upset Brady just a little bit early on and kind of keep it close. But um, if I'm Dallas, I'm wondering how, what I can do with this with this new receiving core with uh, Michael Gallup coming back off his injury, and it's really just gonna, just just going to be the CD Lamb show here early in the season. Yeah, it's early Dallas Cowboys is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, the breakdown of the Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard thing, which again is a, a story going into the season, how that wide receiver group or the group of playmakers generally functions without Amari Cooper, without Michael Gallup early in the year, and how Dak, Dak Prescott performs with the adjustments to his supporting cast across the board, not just receivers, but offensive line, just the overhaul, the upheaval there. Um like every one of those little elements suggests to me that Dallas is going to be slightly worse than they were a year ago. And okay, Tampa Bay might be the same story with their offensive line reshuffles, but I think it's a bigger impact to Dallas than it is to Tampa Bay. Uh, Three-fifths of the offensive line now in Dallas with uh, Lyle Collins, who you mentioned earlier in the show. He's moving on. Left guard, Connor Williams moving on, and now Tyron Smith out at left tackle. Bucks. I don't think the Bucs have the best pure pass rush, but they've got some guys that can kind of compress the pocket a little bit. They're looking for, uh, you know, second-year Joe tryon to really step up. They do have Shaq Barrett, who could create some pressure off the edge. Speaking of pressure in general, I, I just think this is the most pressure that's been on Dak Prescott since since 2017, right? Like, it, this is the guy that's, you know, we were debating, is he worth $40 million and all this stuff? He gets it. I think he's been producing at that type of level. But he hasn't produced at that type of level really without a top three to five receiving core that he's had throughout his career. Did he do a nice job last year with Cedric Wilson? Yes, Cedric Wilson gets paid. He's gone. It, it's what it was. They've had one of the better receiving cores and, you know, just pass catchers in general. Uh, Jake Ferguson has done some nice things in the preseason as the backup rookie tight end. But that's my question, man, is, is can Dak carry this team? And last year in week one, he went head-to-head with Brady. You know, they took the fourth-quarter lead. Dak was coming off the injury, took a fourth-quarter lead. You know, they took it to the box with the defending Super Bowl champs. Brady had the fourth-quarter comeback with about 20 seconds left and drove back down. But the Cowboys went head-to-head and then became a really competitive team until they had the disappointing finish. So I'm expecting a good game, 
But I don't think this Dallas team is as deep as they were last year, and it just puts a lot more pressure on Dak at quarterback. Yeah, I think we're going to get the first uh, look at how bad. I think a lot of people now expect Dallas to regress versus a year ago to some degree. And this is the first look at how hard that regression is going to hit. All right, so where are you going in this game? Lots to look at here. It's it's Sunday night football, one of the one of the best matchups of the week. Where are you leaning? Uh, Bucks favored by two and a half on the road here in Dallas. Yeah, and I think even at two and a half, I'm I'm leaning with the Bucks. I think they win. I think they might win reasonably comfortably. Um, and you know, angry Tom Brady is a thing. So you believe in an angry Tom Brady and Dallas losing some of their key pieces. I'll also take the box again, even though last year in Tampa Bay was a close game week one. I do think this is a it's a different Bucks team, but it's really a different Dallas team. If you haven't heard by now, underdog fantasy is the best place to play fantasy football this summer. We're running out of time here. We've all been in those fantasy football leagues, though. It's Sunday morning. You're digging through news reports, trying to figure out whether to start your stud receiver that tweaked his hamstring last week or You have a player on your team who hasn't been getting into the end zone, and then one week he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. But with Underdog Fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off your shoulders because it's best ball format. You draft your team before the season starts right now. Get into it right now and get the best score in your lineup each week. Right now you can draft an Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3 tournament and take your shot at $10 million in total prizes. Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up using the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. Underdog drafts close right before NFL kickoff. So right now, you got to go head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. All right, Sam, let's go Las Vegas Raiders at the Los Angeles Chargers. The schedule, it's just, it's just fascinating when the schedule comes out, man. This is what we saw. This was that... One of the most epic weekends in NFL history where these two teams are playing. A tie would get them both in, but they both played it to the death in overtime. Justin Herbert's converting fourth down after fourth down, but it was the Raiders who were victorious in the last time we, the last time we saw these two teams play, which was week 18. And we just trot them back out there here for week one. The Chargers are favored by three and a half over the Raiders. Chargers getting uh, plenty of buzz this year. I even picked them for the Super Bowl on the last show, which might sound crazy, but if it happens, I will remember that. If it doesn't, I'll just say, hey, I was making a bold pick. What are you looking for in this one, Sam? I don't remember what the line was in that Week 18 game, but it, it isn't funny how the narratives are sort of swinging on these two teams. Remember, the Raiders won that game. They were the team that went to the playoffs. They um, were the team that, that ended up, knocking out the Chargers, and yet with the offseason both teams have had, it's like, oh, the Chargers are the team on the rise again every offseason, and the Raiders are getting kind of ignored in this division. And I, to an extent, I understand why. You know, we've talked that in any given year, the Raiders probably have the fourth best quarterback in that division, and that is not a good starting point when you're talking about how teams are going to go. But if you're looking at sort of just the offseason additions that were made to these teams, and I understand that's not necessarily a sound way of doing it but yeah the Chargers added some pieces but the Raiders added the best wide receiver in the NFL the Raiders added one of the best pass rushers of the last decade Um, the Raiders added some serious pieces as well and one of the key Chargers pieces that they added JC Jackson is not likely to play in this game so somebody else is gonna have to cover Devontae Adams you know during the course of this game so I kind of get why there's hype surrounding the Chargers. I think they do have the better quarterback. There is a lot to like about this team. 
But I think we're probably overlooking the Raiders a little bit to the you know when it's a three and a half point line in the favor of the Chargers, particularly when you know week one weird things happen. Home field advantage isn't what it was. Even if it was, the Chargers don't have a good home field advantage because they basically play in somebody else's stadium. Um, so I kind of think that this is set up for the Raiders to spring one of those week one surprises and come out of this game as as the winner again. It also interesting to me is all that we've talked about with the AFC West and how competitive it's going to be and all of that stuff. You've got Kansas City and Denver both playing uh, teams from the other conference, right? Some some lesser games, so to speak, as far as you know standings go, whereas the Raiders and Chargers are just thrown right into the mix, right? This is the best division in football. You guys are going to play each other right off the bat. I, I echo a lot of what you're saying, man. I, I think the Devontae Adams thing, is huge and, and all that you and I have said all this offseason is all right, that's gonna work. I think Card Adams is gonna work as long as the offensive line isn't terrible. And even if it is terrible, it wasn't great last year. The Raiders still overcame, made the playoffs. A team like the Bengals didn't have a good pass protecting line last year. They went to the Super Bowl. So this isn't insurmountable, but Andre James at center, Lester Cotton at right guard, Jermaine Elamunier. At right tag. I mean, it's not. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. So what was that? It's what? Elamunier? Is it not Illuminier? Listen, it's one of those names I actually haven't said out loud ever in life <laughs> until right now. And I just put it right, did it right on the podcast. I'm not a professional. I'm not Al Michaels. I don't need to get every pronunciation correct, do I? Uh, yeah, probably. Certainly not. Probably sure. For the sake of this show. Anyway. That's how bad the right side of the line could be it's, for the Raiders. It's so bad. But are they going to be worse than what Alex Leatherwood did last year? Maybe not. So, uh, yeah. look, I think I, I've been on record saying Derek Carr is going to be in the MVP race and chucking it around the yard and all that stuff. Josh McDaniels' first game here. There's a lot, a lot of great stories in this game here right off the bat in the AFC West. Yeah, the, the Raiders' line is bad, and it's definitely a reason to be concerned, and I – fully endorse that as a thing that might hold them back overall. But it was terrible last year, and I don't think it's worse this year. I think actually it's kind of better than it was a season ago. Alex Leatherwood was a disaster at right tackle earlier in the season, was pretty bad at right guard when he got moved in there. Um, Illuminor at right tackle is probably the best right tackle they've had over the last year. You know, he's better Illuminor. than... Illuminor. Yeah. yeah. He's better than um, Leatherwood was. I think he's better than Brandon Parker was. So right tackle is probably better than it was last season. Lester Cotton, therefore, only has the the bar of can you be better than Leatherwood last season, which is a pretty low bar to be clearing. The line is still bad, but I think it might actually be better than it was last season when it was still functional. You know what I mean? They, their line was bad last year, but not bad enough to stop the offense being a good offense. And that was before they had Devontae Adams. So, again, I think we're kind of overdoing how much of an impact the bad things on this Raiders team are going to be. On the other side, though, the, that line's getting tested right away. Khalil Mack coming in, Joey Bosa, you know, great tandem on the outside. You've got the player re-ups, number three, mm-hmm. moving to number three on the defensive side for the Chargers. Brandon Staley may be trying to replicate the, the Rams and what we've called that stars and scrubs theory. Not that the rest of the Chargers are scrubs, but clearly it's a, it's a superstar-driven team seeing how they're going to fit into this new defense. I know you don't get to see J.C. Jackson maybe this week, but uh, Michael Davis, Asante Samuel Jr., Bryce Callahan, even if they didn't have J.C. Jackson, that's a solid trio. At least the potential is there. So 
Um, I can't wait to see what the new Chargers defense looks like with a couple of these new pieces, second year under Brandon Staley. And we haven't even mentioned Justin Herbert in his next year. Man, he was he was incredible down the stretch last year. I wanted, We talked about it the other day with him needing to maybe be more aggressive, throwing the ball down the field. He's got Josh Palmer maybe ready to break out as their third wide receiver. So lots to unpack here in this game. And I, I think we're going to learn a lot or already with Josh McDaniels, Brandon Staley, and both of their respective teams. Yeah, agreed. Where, where are you leaning here, man? I mean, I, I said it earlier. I think the Raiders are the side of this. Three and a half points, I think they're being undervalued. They're being sort of unfairly – we're unfairly focusing on the negative aspects of the Raiders team and not the positive, whereas the reverse is true with the Chargers. We're focusing on the good things, not the bad things there – I, 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 it's not the most sound logical way of doing it, but I don't believe that if you take the same teams that finished the season last year and add the respective additions and subtractions to them that happened this offseason, I don't think that there's enough there that the Chargers are suddenly four points better off than they were the last time they played. Yeah, I'm just more, I, I think Staley and his defense and some of the the new pieces there, they might just take a few weeks to gel jc jackson not there as we mentioned and i think Carr. remember week one last year Carr threw to darren waller like 20 times or whatever it was monday night football against the raiders we might see that immediately with Devonte adams so i'm going to take the raiders to uh to cover once again especially at three and a half give me give me the raiders here right here in week one as the offseason went on man i just i started buying in more and more the raiders fans broke me down yeah, even even picking them over my uh my super bowl pick here for the chargers All right, let's go Green Bay Packers at the Minnesota Vikings. We've got the Packers on the road, favored by one and a half. Minnesota beat them at home last year. The Packers coming off of back-to-back number one seeds. So what are we looking for here, Packers, Vikings? Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see what that wide receiver room for Green Bay looks like, first and foremost. Is there going to be somebody that stands up and, you know, is the – the real deal there. Can Romeo Dobbs continue what he's done in preseason and in training camp? And then the other thing is, can a healthy Minnesota Vikings defense actually look good and do some damage relative to the mess that was there last year? Remember, in theory, the Vikings have Zadarius Smith and Danell Hunter. That's almost, that's about as good as it's going to get in terms of a one-two punch pass rushing in today's NFL. But Hunter is two seasons now, the majority of which he barely has played. Uh, Zadarius Smith missed essentially all of last season with a back injury, which is never a good thing for an NFL player. So massive question marks there. But if you do get, like the last time we saw both those guys playing healthy, they were two of the best five pass rushers in the NFL. If they get anything like that when they're both healthy to start this season, like the Vikings defense is completely different than it was last year. I know 4-3 scheme versus 3-4 scheme doesn't mean what it used to, but it still means a little something. It's it's a little different in just how you line up, even how you line up in your sub packages and everything. It's a whole new defense, man, for the Vikings. I don't know how much that's going to be an adjustment after the consistency that they had uh, under Mike Zimmer for so many years. But um, I, I, they do have some of those pieces, like you're saying, that, uh, that could rush the passer. There's still some question marks on the Green Bay offensive line. But the the biggest story is absolutely who Aaron Rodgers is throwing to. Uh, when we saw Aaron Rodgers throwing on Thursday Night Football last year against the Arizona Cardinals, no Devontae Adams, no Alan Lazard, it was this 
quick hitting, short passing attack. You just didn't have that trust factor if if it's third and long or even in the red zone. I know I'm going to Devontae Adams. I don't care if you double him. I don't care. Um, So the pressure's on Matt LaFleur. The pressure's on everybody in Green Bay to to help create offense, right? And uh, Matt LaFleur's done a good job just at a psychological level. I think keeping Aaron Rodgers engaged at a time when it looked like, you know, maybe this was the time when he was going to drop off in his career. He has been engaged in as good as he's been over the last two years, as good as he's been maybe in his career. Can they keep that going? Or, or When does the first sense of frustration come in, Sam? Is there a first, third and seven, Yeah. Romeo Dobbs drops a pass or runs the wrong route. When does the first sense of frustration come in? And uh, that's what I'm looking for here. I still have faith in Rodgers and Green Bay to, to cover the one and a half on the road here. But yeah, we're, I think we're going to learn a lot here in week one about what they what they have as far as pass catchers go. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, you know, Alan Lazard, uh, somebody stood on his foot or something in practice. He missed practice. He might not be 100%. It, it really might be, like, if Romeo Dobbs isn't good week one, <laughs> there's just nobody to throw to. Like, he's absolutely bereft of options. And you're right, it, it is... Romeo Dobbs looks good, but already in preseason, you know, we saw the touchdowns. We saw him moving like an elite wide receiver. We also saw him drop some passes uncharacteristically. We saw him essentially get one taken out of his hands, you know, at the catch point. These are things that will piss off Aaron Rodgers. You know, these are things that piss off quarterbacks that are used to a certain level from their wide receivers that are used to throwing to Devontae Adams and knowing that it's a completion, particularly when he's putting the ball in the air blind so many times you know it's one-on-one coverage I know I can just toss it to a spot bank shoulder Adams will make the adjustment make the play the first time he does that and Dobbs is not on the same page or Dobbs adjusts too late in the receipt or the corner breaks it up or whatever it's going to annoy him but he can't stop going to Dobbs because Dobbs might be his best option this season and you're going to have to work through the pain and get him to where you need him to be faster than it's perhaps reasonable to expect him to do because you just don't have another option. So, yeah, that is going to be fascinating to see can Rodgers, can he sort of play that schoolmaster role and bring the guy along because he's going to need him to. Um, And again, that all comes back to, you know, if this Vikings defense is tougher than it looked like it would be or, you know, these kinds of things, can can they get inside Rodgers' head and kind of irritate him to the point where he makes some mistakes? Because we've seen that in the past from Rodgers. doesn't happen very often, but sometimes early in games, things go south, and Rodgers can just have one of those games where he, he's not good. I mean, that's what happened last year in week one, and it doesn't mean, oh, week one last year, that's what's going to happen this year, but week one last year, the Saints went out there, con- completely controlled the ball. I think the Packers had something like 10 plays by by halftime, and by the second half, Rodgers is just throwing YOLO balls into the secondary. He was just like, whatever, I'm, I'm going to throw this ball up to the safety. And they lost, what, 38 to 3, whatever it was. So, again, I'm not saying that's going to happen this week. But there are those handful of games when, yeah, Rodgers can, can remember, look a little yeah, flustered. The, and, the season before that, the Bucks did it to him, right? Like Bucks, he, he, yep. this, this happens to Rodgers every now and again. It's difficult to do, but it becomes a lot easier to do if he has no receivers to throw to. Yes, absolutely. So, um, other side of the ball, though, Vikings offense, are they going to open it up a little bit more? Kirk Cousins has been uh, excellent from an accuracy standpoint. These last couple seasons played pretty well. The question with Cousins that, you know, we always ask is, is how much does he carry the load? How much can he carry a team? 
Does he even need to with Justin Jefferson, with Adam Thielen coming back, uh, Kevin O'Connell calling the plays? How much of that Rams offense do they bring in here? Is it is it a team that's truly going from two tight ends to more three wide receivers and spreading the ball a little bit more instead of uh, instead of believing it was Dalvin Cook's team with Mike Zimmer, right? It was Dalvin and run the ball and play defense. That's what Zim likes. How much are they going to pass the ball and put the ball in Kirk's hands here? against what's supposed to be Green Bay's best defense, right? Their best defense since 2010, maybe the best secondary in the in the NFL, especially with Jair Alexander coming back, if Eric Stokes is as good in second year two as he was as a rookie. So I think that side of the ball is going to be a fun watch as well, especially that Green Bay secondary matching up with those Vikings receivers. Yeah, and generally, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, how do the good parts of the Vikings offense look in what is supposed to be a superior scheme? Kevin, Kevin O'Connell comes over, brings effectively the Rams offense, um, the Sean McVay system. Can that elevate everybody in this offense? Or have we already seen the best of Kirk Cousins? Is that the level that he's capable of reaching? Again, like Justin Jefferson, how much better can he get? He's already been playing essentially like the best wide receiver in the NFL since he entered the NFL. How much room is there to grow from that? Are we are we overestimating you know Justin Jefferson's capacity to just go insane. Like, it's probably not realistic to expect him to, to have a Cooper Cup season this year because that's a one. That's a one and one. Like, we've never seen a Cooper Cup season uh, before, like, like last year before that from him or anybody else. So expecting that that is where Justin Jefferson can get to because he has comparable talents to Cooper Cup probably isn't reasonable. So I, I think there's a chance that this offense doesn't actually look an awful lot better than it was a year ago, and that's it's not an un, uh, you know it's a it's a sort of unreasonable expectation to expect it to just propel everybody forwards. All right, man, where are you leaning on this one? I I I, I want to say it might be a little bit lower scoring. They they had a shootout last year in Minnesota. You know me and domes. I, I'd always lean to more points, but I do I do wonder if Rodgers is going to be finding his way a little bit. The Vikings offense might be finding their way a little bit against a good Green Bay defense. I think we might see a little bit of a low scoring affair. I'm going to take uh, Green Bay to cover the one and a half. I generally lean with Rodgers and in, in you know the quarterback situation here. But where would you go here in this game? Yeah, I mean both defenses should be better in this game than they were last season. So I agree. I think it should be lower scoring. Than the two games from a year ago. I'm with you though. I think I think Green Bay is just better. I mean, the the Vikings. We might be overselling what that offense is capable of. And okay, the defense should be better, but it is going up against Aaron Rodgers. So unless they can sort of generate one of those funky games where Rodgers is just bad, I think he's going to have too much, and the Packers win and cover. Get ready for the NFL Week One action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. And now everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. You get up seven and you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice. And if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. It's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789 in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY. One per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as 8 
$25 free bets. All right, the NFL did a great job of setting this one up, Sam. Cleveland Browns at Carolina Panthers. Did they know? How do they know? How do they know this was all happening? Baker Mayfield against his old team. The Baker Mayfield revenge game. Love it. We got the Panthers by one and a half. Now, yeah. it would be a better game if Deshaun Watson was there to play. He's out for 11 games. It's Jacoby Brissett against Baker Mayfield. Baker looked good in the preseason for what it's worth. Chucking it around with his good arm strength. Zipping it around the yard even. How mad is he going to be? How mad is he going to be here against the Browns, his old team? Pretty mad. Do you think? I don't know if it would be a better game with with Watson at quarterback. Um, obviously, oh, the storyline would be no. Seriously, obviously, the storyline would be more intense. But if if Deshaun Watson was the Browns' quarterback, this would be like a four five point spread in Cleveland's favor, as opposed to a one and a half point spread for Carolina. Like I actually think it's a better game where. The Browns have a better team, but the Panthers have the better quarterback, and the better quarterback being the guy they cast aside for the guy who's currently suspended for 11 games. Um, so, yeah, obviously pissed off Baker Mayfield is the story, but the like the sideshow to that story is, by the way, your rookie left tackle, who's a better run blocker than a pass blocker, has to go up against Miles Garrett for you to have any kind of working platform in this game. And... You know, we've seen what happens in the past where Baker Mayfield's left tackle is a problem spot. Okay, it was Greg Robinson. It was a problem against pretty much everybody, but he can start to feel that quickly. And if Miles Garrett is just wrecking Iki Iquanu week one, you know, if the Panthers don't have a, a solution to that, that could derail the whole revenge tour, you know, right here, like right off the rails, off the mountain, down into a ditch, blows up in a fireball. Baker just can't get it done because... The dude's getting annihilated by Miles Garrett every snap. Yeah, that could absolutely be an issue. And here's what I, I want to know from a Panthers perspective. Baker Mayfield under Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland kind of falls into that. There, there's a group of quarterbacks who play against favorable box counts and uh, run heavy offenses where maybe the passing is a little bit easier from a situational standpoint. I think uh, Kirk Cousins has been – a has been a bad beneficiary of that in Minnesota. I think Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee and really Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, right? That was a part of the Cleveland offense because they're so running back driven and they didn't want to have Baker go out there and throw the ball 45 times. And I, I wonder how Carolina handles that, right? They don't have a, a great offensive line. Certainly not what Cleveland had, as you're mentioning here, uh, Christian McCaffrey's back, but it is it going to be a little bit more, spread to pass, pass to set up the run, a little bit more on Baker Mayfield's plate in Carolina against a, a decent, uh, you know, just a good defense, I think, in Cleveland. They've got good pieces at every level of the field. Uh, JOK against Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield could be an awesome one. Um, but like you said, Miles Garrett versus Icky, heads up, man. That is uh, that is, That has the opportunity to completely change what Carolina can do offensively from a game plan standpoint. Yeah, it's funny. We we always obviously focus on the quarterbacks. You focus on the pass game. It's very rare that an individual one-on-one -on -one matchup in the trenches has the capacity to change the outcome of games. But this is one that has that potential. Miles um, Garrett is a defensive player of the year caliber uh, person. He has had individual games where he has completely dominated. And as good a prospect as Zicky Aquano is, 
it's a work in progress, uh, particularly as a pass blocker. So, again, unless the Panthers have a plan for that, you know, what happens? Like, even if it starts off, hey, go out there, play it one-on-one, see how it goes, and if it goes to hell quickly, this is the this is the plan B. This is the adjustment we're going to make. You know, unless they have that in the bag, this is absolutely one of those matchups that can change the outcome of this game. For Jacoby Brissett, I do think the way that the Browns like to play football, look, I, I think I think Brissett's one of the better backups in the league. We've seen two seasons of Brissett as a starter from start to finish. He graded just under 60 in both of those years. I think that's enough evidence to say, okay, he's not a, he's not a full-time starter. I would have. I'd feel better if I'm the Browns if he only had to play six games instead of eleven. But I think Brissett, in, in his style, he limits turnover-worthy plays. He probably takes a few too many sacks, but he's not incompetent. I think he's one of mm-hmm. the better backups. And with with what the Browns want to do behind a still a very good offensive line and running the ball with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I think Brissett can manage that. You know how game managery will Jacoby Brissett be? Because I think he has the skill set to do that. Add a little bit as a runner when needed. And uh, it's just a matter of if he does limit those turnovers, I think the Browns have a good enough offense to run the ball, make some plays on the outside. And um, But it's the Baker revenge game, man. And it's uh, it's tough to overlook what I think Baker Mayfield's going to do. I think he's going to play well for the Panthers. Yeah, I mean, I think, he's, I think he'll play well as well, assuming that that left tackle situation holds up. I, I mean, I think the narrative went out of control when it came to Baker Mayfield this offseason. Um, he went from, yes, he is a capable starting quarterback to, oh, the Browns have decided not to pay him. They went in the direction of Deshaun Watson. Instead, the guy's a bum. He doesn't belong. He's the same as Jacoby Brissett, all these kinds of things. It got it got absurd. Baker Mayfield is is definitely the better quarterback in this matchup, and that's always significant. Now, you're also right that Jacoby Brissett is not a complete waste of space. He's arguably the best backup quarterback in the NFL, which is, sure, a limited thing and not a guy you want starting long-term, but this is also probably the best situation that Jacoby Brissett has ever been in in terms of what's around him and how he can play because of that. I think that's pretty fascinating as well. So this is a cool matchup in week one because of all these storylines. I think ultimately I'm buying into the Baker revenge game. I think Baker Mayfield is one of those quarterbacks, you know? We saw all throughout his college career. You piss this guy off, he plays better. And you can't say that about every quarterback in the NFL. There are certain guys that play better when they're mad, when they are they have a chip on their shoulder, when they're specifically motivated by something. That's Baker, and that's this game, and I'm, I'm leaning the Panthers because of that. It's a sneaky good matchup, too, with the Panthers receivers against the Browns secondary, Denzel Ward in Cleveland and Greedy Williams and Greg Newsom. It's a pretty good group. But DJ Moore is excellent. Robbie Anderson was coming off a rough year, but he he's he's done it in the past as a deep threat and as a movable piece that they you know around the offense. Lavisca Chenault, I have no idea how they're going to slot him into this offense, but I like him better as a three than I do as a one or a two. When, you know, like like he was forced to be in Jacksonville, and you, plus you still have Terrace Marshall and Rashad Higgins there. Some pieces, man, for the Panthers. Just it does come down to that offensive line. If if that offensive line gets completely blown up. Jadavian Clowney still there for the Browns. If that offensive line gets completely blown up, it could hurt. But give me the Panthers. Give me the Panthers to cover the one and a half, believing in Baker. By the way, we've got some some breaking news as it pertains to the PFF app. Um, The app, you know, it's it's out. It's available right now, but it's constantly getting uh, iterated upon. It's getting added to as as we go 
towards the season and then into the season. Now there is a start-sit fantasy feature available in the new update. Now, this is so new, so breaking, so I don't even know what the hell is in this, but fantasy start-sit built into this app is an absolute must-have feature because that's what everybody wants as they get up to set their lineup, as they you know try and adjust and figure out who they want to start in any given week. PFF data is going to be helping you out there with the fantasy start-sit advice on the app. So grab that now. ASAP. I love it. Go check it out. That's breaking, huh? It's fresh off the uh, hot off the presses, huh? Yeah, so much so that I don't know if we're even supposed to push that, but I'm doing it anyway. It might not be in the the update might not be available just yet, but it's happening. So go check it out. Be sure you get the app. PFF. All right, we're both taking Carolina there to cover the one and a half. Let's go Philadelphia Eagles. This is your Super Bowl pick, right? The super the future Super mm-hmm. Bowl NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles at the Detroit Lions. Eagles favored by four. Man, I love the NFL. I, I just want to watch all these games, Sam. I want every single one. I can't wait. I mean, we've got the the fighting Dan Campbells in Detroit who are just coming off of hard knocks and a lot of buzz and hype, and they're going to be better, and everybody at PFF says they're going to make the playoffs and bet the over in Detroit. You've got the Eagles in the Super Bowl. What are we going to see from Jalen Hurts? They added A.J. Brown, added Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, a lot of additions in Philadelphia to love. And so two teams that the buzz – is trending in the right direction, but we'll overreact, and one of them is going to be trash after week one. So what are we looking at here? Eagles at the Lions. Yeah, and it's not just me. Um, Trevor Sikama, you know, they he was fresh off the show that they he does with Mike Renner now each each day on the PFF just YouTube football. channel. Um, and he was saying they did one of those things where you go through and you pick every game, you know, for 17, 18 weeks, and it spits you out the kind of overall records. And he had Did they the do that live on the show? Did they I, go through all 260-something no, games? I suspect that was something that was done beforehand, and they just talked about it on the show. But the point being, he had the Eagles at 13-4. and four. He was struggling to find losses on the Eagles' schedule, such is the state of that schedule. They, they're going to be good this year. Um, and look, this, this is the first glimpse of it. Obviously, the A.J. Brown addition, how that's going to affect... Jalen Hurts, how it's going to affect uh, Devontae Smith. I am all for that. But I also think this is the first look at all these young guys Detroit has added over the last couple of years. We love the process. We love the way they have gone about rebuilding this franchise. But now we need to see those guys improving because if they don't, the process didn't do anything. The process just, you know, spun its wheels for a couple of years. So this is our first, first real look at these young guys this season. Are we going to see big improvements from guys like Jeffrey Akuda. Are we going to see big improvements from those defensive linemen that they added? Is Aiden Hutchinson going to hit the ground running? You know, can all these young guys that they've assembled to become the nucleus of this team going forward, is that a realistic expectation or are they the same old Lions with some new pieces? No matter where Aiden Hutchinson lines up, not a good, I mean, not a tough matchup, we'll say, against left tackle Jordan Mailata, right tackle Lane Johnson. So two of the best tackles in the NFL now for the Eagles. Still just an amazing story that Mylotta has developed into that guy for the Eagles coming from rugby. Um, but I want to see that Lions offensive line as well because the the Eagles defensive line might not be the same that they were a few years ago. They still have similar names, but they are deep. You know, Fletcher Cox is there. Brandon Graham is there. But they also have a group of young guys like Jordan Davis, who I mentioned. Uh, you know, they're rolling about eight deep and they're tough to block. And that's going to be a challenge for this Detroit offensive line that's still supposed to be the strength. All the reports about Jared Goff coming out of camp, you know, last year, I don't think 
Dan Campbell was thrilled with Jared Goff. There was a lot of, hey, he's got to throw the ball. He's got to be more aggressive. Average about six yards per attempt. Will they be more aggressive this year? Will they throw the ball down the field a little bit more now that you do have this healthy offensive line, Frank Ragno coming back and all that stuff. So um, Goff, Goff will be the key here for the Lions. I don't think he's a disaster of a quarterback. We've seen him go to the Super Bowl before when he had a good supporting cast, but he's got to be a little bit more aggressive. He doesn't have to carry the team, but a, a more aggressive Jared Goff could be the key for the Lions here, and, and he probably has to against a pretty good Eagles team. Yeah, I I don't know. I might be projecting a little bit here since I've never been the biggest Jared Goff fan since discovering that the man didn't know where the sun rose. The um, sun, of course. It feels like Jared Goff is the kind of quarterback that would piss Dan Campbell off. You know what I mean? Maybe. Do you see yeah, what I'm saying about that? It just, if I was Dan Campbell, you know, and I had that grit kind of way about my life, you know, and con- the constant giant coffees and the up-downs with the team and all this kind of stuff... I would be looking over there at Jared Goff with the, you know, the blonde hair and the slightly absent-minded way he stares off into the distance trying to work out where the sun rises and all this stuff. That's called California cool, man. That's called California cool. And it would just annoy me, you know? It would just get under my skin, and I'd be thinking, that You know? Maybe that's going to work. Maybe. maybe that's what Jared's going to use here in year two. Or maybe Jared like, just, maybe he just, you know, feels that coming off the coach and it doesn't help. It's, I, what do you think Dan thinks about when he looks at Mark Brunel? Oh, I think Dan, Dan buys in it to Mark Brunel. Yeah. That, that's, he he's looks gritty. at Mark Brunel and he says, he's, that's what I want. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's the best lefty quarterback of all time. There's Mark a guy Brunel that, that has a quarterback absolutely embodied the grit that Dan Campbell wants to see everywhere. Yeah. Maybe Mark. Maybe Mark needs to suit up one last time out there. Um, are we going to see this? Look, I'm, I'm buying into the Eagles for this week. I think they're going to cover the four. I, I don't know if Detroit, all of the buzz around Detroit. I believe it. I buy it. I think they're going to be better. I think even even coming out of some of the you know training camp and joint practices and stuff like that, for whatever that's worth, sometimes you can just feel the competitiveness. It sounds all good in Detroit, but it sounds all good in, in Philly mm-hmm. as well. And I'm buying them here in week one. I think A.J. Brown immediately makes an impact, shows what he can do. And in the Eagles secondary, man, they just they did a nice job of of stitching that back together with guys like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and, and James Bradbury to go with Darius Slay at the other cornerback spot. Yeah, I'm really excited for what this Eagles team can be. And I think obviously week one is where it starts. All right, let's go Kansas City Chiefs at the Arizona Cardinals. Chiefs are favored by six on the road. Anytime you get Mahomes in a dome, I used to always say, hey, he's going to throw the ball 80-plus yards to Tyree Kill, but that's not happening this year. Might need to be Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So new Kansas City offense. We've got uh, pre-Call of Duty release Kyler Murray, so should be a good matchup here. Chiefs and Cardinals, six points. We get two weeks. For? We get two weeks of an undistracted Kyla Murray before Call of Duty's re, you know, released the new update and the play goes to hell. By the way, Cardinals fans get big mad when you make that joke. They're they're done with it. They oh, are absolutely really? out on the Call of Duty jokes. Um, I huh. think this is a sneaky good game. It's a it's a six point spread, uh, and the Chiefs are six point road favorites. Like that's that's pretty huge. Um, now, Mahomes statistically has been pretty otherworldly in week one games forever. And 
He's been generally otherworldly in opening games. Andy Reid has that thing, you know, where he's almost unbeatable with a bye week to work with him. You know, when those guys have time to put together any kind of game plan, they tend to come in here and just napalm the opposition. But the the na- like the narrative surrounding Arizona is always way too negative early in the season. We come into a year and it's like, oh, Things are going badly for the Cardinals. Are we going to have to blow this whole thing up again? Last year, it was Cliff Kingsbury on the hot seat. This offseason, it's been like, how does Steve Kime still have a job? You know, like, it's, we tend to miss the big picture, which is they're going, they're getting better every year. Yeah, I mean, last, again, I I, I just remember last year, week one, and, and how much we overreacted. The Cardinals absolutely wrecked the Titans. Yeah. On the road week one last year and we were like man the titans they they can't even we can't make a first down we can't do diddly poo squat any of it the titans looked like a train wreck and then they ended up with the number one seed and the cardinals looked like one of the best teams in football through eight weeks um and then they dropped off a little bit so we don't want to completely overreact but remember the cardinals came out firing last year kyler did look excellent with all the new playmakers we don't have deandre hopkins there remember he's suspended so the pressure's on A.J. Green and Marquise Brown, Rondell Moore, all their tight ends, who I think they should get into the mix here. Um, but I can see Arizona putting up a fight and competing and, while Kansas City's still trying to figure out, okay, like what that first time when Mahomes, I know he still has Travis Kelsey, but there's going to be times where they want that big play, where maybe the the underneath stuff, they're taking it, they're taking it, but they want to take that shot play, and it's Mecole Hardman maybe taking it instead of Tyreek Hill. What does that look like? Will Kansas City still have some of those big plays that were, you know, that were gone even last year at times during their off- in their offense? Remember, before Kyler Murray got hurt and before the team generally collapsed down the stretch last season, they started the year 7-0. and Their first loss came against Green Bay when Kyler Murray put the ball essentially in the hands of A.J. Green in the end zone, only he didn't look for it. He didn't, it was a weird play where he didn't, it was a perfectly thrown game-winning touchdown by Kyla Murray and A.J. Uh, Green just wasn't on the end of it. So that was their first loss to a Green Bay Packers team who themselves were very good last year. They then beat the 49ers the following week. They effectively had, what, nine straight winning games last season, even if one of them came up the other way because of uh, A.J. Green. This was a dominant force of a team for the first half of the season last year and because it collapsed because it went south and murray got hurt and all these kinds of things we're like oh well they they stink cardinals cardinals are bad and this was this was that run after coming into the season saying well it's probably time to move on for kingsbury if nothing you know works its way in the positive direction so everybody right now is expecting the chiefs to go in there mahomes and andy Reid to do their thing them to absolutely crush the cardinals and i would just say Let's try and learn from the mistakes of previous years and entertain the possibility that this Cardinals team might actually be pretty good out of the gate. My concern with the Cardinals is similar to last year. It's it's the secondary, or at least a cornerback. Yeah, Trayvon Mullins a little banged up, but he's coming in from the Raiders. I mean, name-wise, Marco Wilson, Trayvon Mullen, Byron Murphy's played well in the slot. You just don't have the name, you know, cachet and in the secondary there for Arizona they've done a nice job I think uh, mixing it up relying on their safeties you've got Isaiah Simmons trying to play this hybrid safety linebacker star role that you see in college quite a bit Saban Collins 
last year's first round are probably going to see the field. I just want to see what Arizona does defensively, both schematically against Kansas City, this too high narrative and making Mahomes be patient. And does that, you know, uh, happen again? I would say name wise, that's how Arizona should want to play. Anyway, you don't want to have a whole bunch of one-on-one matchups on the outside. Um, And then they need to figure out how to, you know, how to rush the passer. I think Kansas City's offensive line, though, is going to have that advantage. And we might see Kansas City run the ball effectively against Arizona and and, and win that way. But I I don't know that we're going to get into shootout territory. Improved Kansas City Chiefs defense. I think an offense that's probably going to be a little bit more conservative. And and maybe they've mastered their conservative way of play this offseason. So, as always, week one storylines are fun, even though we don't want to overreact. We just get to see strategically what Kansas City is going to do. And um, I still like the Chiefs, but six, man, it is pushing it, right? I mean, I think it started mm-hmm. at, uh, at three or four, did it not? Yeah, I, I think it is just a little bit too rich for, for my blood. I, I think I'm, I'm kind of backing the Chiefs to still cover because of that Mahomes-Andy Reid week one thing. But... It, this would not shock me at all if the Arizona Cardinals looked good in this game, and this was a tough battle for Kansas City. I talked myself back into Arizona here. Normally, too, if you put the Chiefs in the dome with the speed and all that stuff, I, I just don't know that they're the same team. I don't know that they're the same team that's going to you know, win the track meet, so to speak. Again, not to take anything away from Mahomes. I think he's going to have another awesome season. I think they're going to create offense and the whole thing, but they're not uh, maybe the same dominant offense that they've been in recent years. So give me Arizona to cover the six as that thing keeps creeping up here. Okay. All right, let's go Monday night football here. Denver Broncos at the Seattle Seahawks. How did they set this up, man? Russell Wilson at Seattle in week one. Will <laughs> Russ's Broncos favored by six and a half. We got Geno Smith tearing it up in the preseason, winning the job over Drew Locke, and then we get to see Russell Wilson make his debut. Whole new team here with the, with the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Russell Wilson Denver or Russell Wilson Seattle thing is is a compelling a compelling storyline, but this feels to me like the the prime time games this week are you know that meme with the three dragons where two of them look really mean and angry and the third one is kind of goofy and you know not so scary. That's like Thursday night football, Bills Rams opening day. You know Sunday night football, Bucks Cowboys was a. a a great game last year, and obviously the Cowboys are the Cowboys. And then Monday Night Football, Denver going back to what should be a pretty bad Seattle team. It's like, eh, okay. Um, so, yeah, like, you know, Russell Wilson, fine. I'm obviously interested to see what he looks like in Denver. But I'm kind of, all right, I'm, I'm buying into the Geno thing now. Not, you know, that he's going to be great. Not that he's even going to be particularly good. But I'm now Geno curious, you know. I think I've seen enough from Geno to yeah i'm all right i'm i'm interested to hear more you know show me what else you've got he was legitimately good in the preseason five big time throws an elite grade you know we've we know gino has been a very limited quarterback throughout his previous career and even last season his time starting it was okay it was good maybe not great but all right i'm i'm kind of buying in you know the the idea that he might actually produce reasonable quarterback play for this team and make them massively more interesting than they would be otherwise. Gino curious, huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, every quarterback ranking, I get to ask this a lot by our friends in Seattle uh, when I do radio up there, like, hey, why Gino keeps getting ranked in the bottom third of quarterbacks? I'm like, well, well, he has to, of course. I mean, there's there's no track record there for Gino Smith. But when you're putting together rankings, it's like, all right, this is just the most likely outcome, even if you put him at 32. And 
Geno Smith might be QB 32 as far as preseason of the 32 starters. Who do I want starting my team? Part of that, what's baked in there, though, is like a little bit of hope for Zach Wilson and hope for Trey Lance. And doesn't mean Geno Smith's definitely going to be the 32nd most productive quarterback, but I think that's what you have to where you have to put him right now. At the same time, DK Metcalf has an 86 grade in the few games with Geno Smith, played really well. You still have Tyler Lockett. My question is going to be on that offensive line where you have the two rookies, Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas, at the tackle position, because Geno likes to hold the ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, He still got sacked over 10% of his dropbacks last year. That's way too high. He likes to hold the ball, even if he's a good thrower of the football. So, yeah, I'm I'm a little curious with Geno Smith, too. I think anybody that you just get the more data points and can they rejuvenate, are they different than now than they were the last time? Maybe. But I, I think it's Geno Smith combined with this overhaul of the Seattle roster outside of receiver. That's what's going to be pushing against him too much, whereas Denver now has uh, finally has a quarterback to go with a pretty talented team. I think they've got some good pass rushers to exploit Seattle's offensive line. So, yeah, I like Denver. I like Denver to cover. Uh, I'm sorry. I like I mean, I, li- I like Denver to win this game. Six and a half could be rich. I think there's an, uh, there's an element of the emotions. Um, and I don't know how much you can draw from, say, Tom Brady going back into New England against Tampa Bay. I thought, you know, uh, against uh, with Tampa Bay last year. I think Brady played well, but it was, you know, it was just this close, hard fought game. And it was it came down to the wire. You could see something like that, the emotions, Pete Carroll, the run-first attack, keeping it close. I could see Seattle covering the six and a half, but I think this is, you know, Denver's a much better team, I think, on paper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, I'm I'm intrigued to see what Geno can bring to the table, but we are talking about a team that should be a playoff-slash-Super Bowl contender against the Seahawks, who might have the worst roster in the NFL, top to bottom. So, What, what, What do you think we see from Russell Wilson? It's it's essentially, you know, it, it's another new offensive system for him. But do we see Nathaniel Hackett uh, with, a, with a pretty good duo of running backs with Javante Williams and, and Melvin Gordon? Do we see another run-first attack where they say, hey, Russ is at his best throwing the ball 25, 30 times a game, creating chunk plays off of play action, uh, or do they put more on his plate and does it look more like a Green Bay spread-to-run type of offense? Yeah, I honestly don't know what it's going to look like, and I don't know how good he's going to be within it. So these are all things to to be monitoring as we get into the season. But I think overall, my opinion has kind of gone full circle, and I'm concluding that yeah, it, there may be, you know, there may be a percentage that Russell Wilson is different from the top quarterbacks in the NFL, but the gap between him and the guys they've had in the job previously is so huge that it's going to be, like, that's the most important thing. That's what's going to propel Denver forward and make them a really good team. And then maybe what holds them back in the postseason is going to be that Russell might not have that, like, extra 10% in the tank without a great, great team around him. But I think ultimately, you know, they're going to be a much better team than Seattle. But in Seattle... I think the Seahawks will cover what is a pretty big line. Sample size issue and, and caveat here. Geno Smith played low 70 ball last year. Low 70s grade as far as PFF goes. Russell Wilson last year finished with a 74 grade, even lower if you take out uh, all of the games before his injury. So it just kind of shows in any given small sample size, things can happen, even though obviously there's a lot more faith in Russell Wilson as a quarterback than Geno. But I think in this small sample size, Seattle will hang tough and cover the six and a half. Is that where you're going with this as well? Yep. All right, let's go New England Patriots at Miami Dolphins. Another week one matchup that we saw last year, just flipping 
the place where they go. Uh, we've got Miami favored by three and a half. Uh, Tua undefeated against Bill Belichick. That's the big narrative <laughs> going on right now. Probably somewhere on a bulletin board in Foxborough right now. Tua is three and zero oh against Bill Belichick. You got the Bama matchup, Mac Jones versus Tua. You have Tyreek Hill making his debut. Storylines galore in this one as well, Sam. Yeah, and of course, New England's coaching thing. You know what they're doing with the offensive coordinator and not really having one and the play calling and blah, blah, blah. All kinds of stuff in this game. Um, I want to see, though, the one thing I want to see the most is how the Patriots are going to defend Tyreek Hill. Obviously, we've seen them do it previously, but that's... You don't just defend one player, you defend the threat of that player relative to his quarterback. So how you would defend Tyreek Hill should be different, I think, when Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback versus Tua. Um, So this is essentially a new challenge for Bill Belichick. How does he try and take away Tyreek Hill when Tua is the threat to throw him the football as opposed to Patrick Mahomes? And does that represent a blueprint for the rest of the league in how to defend this Miami Dolphins offense? Obviously... Tyreek Hill not only has a different quarterback, but is also doing this from a completely different offensive system, so it's a new challenge anyway. But that whole dynamic of how are the Dolphins going to deploy Tyreek Hill and how are the Patriots going to counter it by trying to take him away? Because, you know, as much as I think Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the NFL, I do think that Tyreek Hill changes the game more than any other offensive weapon in the league, just by his presence, by that unique combination of speed and short area quickness, you know, explosiveness. There's nobody else in the league like him at any position. And, you know, maybe the closest thing to Tyreek Hill isn't Jalen Waddle. It's actually like a Micah Parsons, you know, a guy that just has absolute freak show athleticism, a unique combination of size, speed, strength, bursts, all those kinds of things, and a guy that can line up in ways that just causes you problems every single time he's on the field. That changes defenses, and we saw it throughout his time in Kansas City, and now we're going to get to see what it looks like in Miami in a new environment with a new offense, with a new quarterback. I mean, New England's defense in general, if they try to man up with Tyree Kill, which they've done in the past with Jonathan Jones, who also runs sub 4-4, if they do that, okay, they're going to be a man-heavy team again. But they're, they're a team in New England that has been morphing away from that pure man-to-man coverage that they like to play so much through the years. And if you just look at how they've built their cornerback room with Jalen Mills and Jack Jones coming in as a rookie and Sean Wade to go with Jonathan Jones, Miles Bryant is in there and a bunch of just guys named Jones. Anyway, that doesn't seem like the group that you want to go to battle with playing man coverage 50% of the time like they did. So I think it's going to look a lot like what teams did to the Chiefs the last year with the two high looks and forcing Tua to throw the ball underneath. And he's good at that. Right. And uh, that'll open up some space for Jalen Waddle underneath and Cedric Wilson, Mike Kosicki. Um, so I think that's what we're going to see right away is I, I think the Patriots are going to try to avoid the deep ball with Tyree kill and force Tua to go to all those other options. And we could see Tyree kill coming out of this game with, you know, three catches for 28 yards or something like that couple forced deep balls in there to try to get him in he could but he could finish with three catches for nothing but the Dolphins offense looks looks great because Mm -hmm. of everything else that's opened up I could see that you know as a potential outcome here but I'm curious to see how New England attacks defensively what the Miami offense looks like when this deal was made Sam that was your first question like how are they going to do this how they how are they going to deploy Jalen Waddle plus Tyreek Hill and all this speed that they have 
So can't wait to see that. And, and but I think it's going to work. You know, I'm buying into Miami creating offense. I think they're going to move the ball and do a nice job. And then as far as New England, you know, it, they're you mentioned it, it's a new play caller, Matt Patricia, but a new offense. They're trying to run more wide zone. They're they're less downhill than they've been. It hasn't. Not one report has been good in training camp or even coming out of the preseason. So I think that's going to be fun to see. How much does that buzz actually matter? Because if they look like a disaster here in week one, that narrative just, you know, gets gets multiplied. Yeah, it's a big year for both quarterbacks. Obviously, Tua is under all the pressure now to show that he can be a viable quarterback now that he finally has a viable platform to be working from. But also Mac Jones, like he was the most surprising rookie quarterback last season, the best rookie quarterback. And now he goes into a crucial year, too, where he has to show, okay, you, you were good last year. Now you need to become really good. Now you need to be great. Now you need to show that you can be you can lead an offense that's actually capable of hanging with the best teams in the NFL because that's how you get back to the promised land of winning a Super Bowl. If you plateau at the level you showed in year one, it's fine, but now it's a totally different prospect going forward than if you if Mac Jones shows that he's got you know an extra gear and can kick on and become a, a different player going forwards. Yeah, so Mac Jones, him in year two. I, I think the Patriots receiving core is solid with you know Devontae Parker coming in. You got the revenge game for Devontae Parker going up against the Dolphins. I, I don't think the Patriots offense, even if the run game is a disaster, I think they'll move the ball. I think Mac Jones will make some of those downfield throws that they need to move the ball and keep it close. But I like Miami um, to win it, but I don't know if they're going to cover the three and a half. I think New England keeps it close. So give me... New England covering the three and a half. Where are you going with this one? I'm buying into the Miami thing. Um, and actually, I think, you know, the Patriots might struggle in a few different areas, maybe offense, but I think the defense might be the worst that Belichick's had for years. Um, I, I agree with you. I think Miami is going to find ways to create offense, whether or not it's Tyree Kill on the end of it or whether he's the catalyst that creates it. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Miami's actually going to cover and maybe win, you know, relatively handily. All right, San Francisco 49ers at the Chicago Bears, a battle of year two quarterbacks, Trey Lance and Justin Fields, and two guys in complete opposite situations. It's it's hard not to think back to, say, the QB class of 2018, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson. And even a year or two into all of their respective careers, it's like, Bills are doing well by Josh Allen. The Ravens are doing well by Lamar Jackson. Like, poor Sam Darnold, poor Josh Rosen. They're in terrible situations. Tough not to think back to that, where Trey Lance is now in this incredible situation, taking over a 49ers team that went to the NFC Championship. You've got Kyle Shanahan calling the plays, and Justin Fields is right smack dab in the middle of a complete rebuild in Chicago. Yeah. Um, This, though, is one where I'm kind of – I. I'm buying into a completely uh, intangible feel about both teams as we head into the season. So this is not necessarily logical. It's not based off any hard analytical data. It's Justin Fields feels like he's in a pretty good spot heading into the season. And I mean him personally as opposed to the situation around him, which is admittedly still really bad. Um, Their offensive line in particular – we talked before, Miles Garrett versus Iggy Aquanu could be a game-changing one-on-one matchup. Nick Bosa against either one of the Chicago Bears' offensive tackles could be a game-changing problem. And Which, by the way, 
Braxton Jones, a fifth round rookie out of Southern Utah, getting the start at left tackle. Yeah. Larry Borum at right tackle, second year player. Yes, complete overhaul on that offensive line. And Nick Bosa kind of changed from one side of the line to the other predominantly last year, but he he plays both effectively, and I think that's a good thing specifically because it means he can play both. And heading into this game, if both problem if both tackles are a problem spot. I think it actually behooves the 49ers to say, no, just keep moving around because it's way harder for them to try and give help if you're going to shift across the line, you know, snap to snap. Like, it's way more difficult than if they, if the Panthers just have to say, all right, Icky always gets help, you know? So that, I think, is potentially a huge thing for the 49ers. But if we say Justin Fields is actually in a pretty good spot in terms of feeling good, looking good, the offense is way more conducive to him playing well in terms of all the rollouts, moving the pocket, shrinking his reads to half-field stuff, just generally trying to limit the plays where they're saying drop back into this hellhole of a pocket and survive. Um, I think the Bears' offense with Darnell Mooney, with you know Justin Fields making plays, with the backfield that they have, I think they might actually end up looking a little bit better than people are expecting them to, even with that nightmare of a matchup against Nick Bosa. Um, and Chicago has been hearing all off season about how much they're going to suck, you know? So those guys are kind of motivated to come out here, make a statement and prove that they don't stink. Number two, the weather is not supposed to be good this weekend in Chicago. That's a big thing for a game where the spread is seven points because immediately you're probably saying lower scoring game, closer, tighter affair. Uh, number three, don't, don't steal my shtick. I'm the weather guy, but nice job. Good, good nugget there. Sam. All right. Number three. Uh, the Trey Lance thing, I it's I still don't think that that is a positive feeling about Lance Garoppolo, the whole thing, and they didn't make him they didn't make him a team captain. Steve, what do you think about that? They didn't name him a team captain. Oh no! Sound the feels alarm. It's all falling it's apart. All bad Trey feels. Lance isn't the captain. Jimmy Garoppolo. He'd been a four-time team captain or whatever, four years straight as the quarterback. He's still there. The guy they think of as the captain is still there. And Trey Lance is sitting there without a cat, without a C on his chest. (laughs) Got to earn that thing, Trey. I don't know, man. This feels like one where I'm going to go. You're going by the feels, and I'm just going by. (laughs) I mean, my my. the data is telling me San Francisco's offense is going to be good and Chicago's just not going to be good. Um, and then the only feels that I'm adding to the mix here are that Kyle Shanahan's going to get the most out of Trey Lance. And I think it could be ugly and it could be inconsistent and he could miss some throws and he might throw some to corners and he might whatever. But I think he's going to make up for it with a 50-yarder here and there, either through the air or with his legs. Um, I want to see how much they, they, they run him. I mean, since he's been drafted – I've been envisioning Trey Lance as this 8 to 10, 12 carry guy per per game and and you don't need to put Debo Samuel into the backfield because that was that's like a matchup creator, right? When you put a running a receiver in the backfield, you don't need to do that. You could let Debo be a receiver and just use him on a jet sweep here and there. Trey Lance will create those mismatches. So I want to see how much they tap into him as a runner, but I just think all of the potential is there for a blowout. I think all the potential is there for the Niners to put up a ton of points. And um, while Chicago's just finding their way offensively. So I, I like the Niners to cover the seven. I know the weather. I'm a big weather guy, Sam. Don't have to worry about this in Chicago in the future with the, with the new field and all that stuff. That'll change the, the way the Bears play football, I think. But 
Um, I, I like the Niners to cover this one. I'm buying into Trey Lance creating big plays here. Yeah, I still think that they're, the potential of what Lance in that Kyle Shanahan offense can do is through the roof. Um, but I do think that it's it's my concern here is less about that San Francisco is fraudulent or they're not they're not good or blah blah. blah. It's more that I think like if Justin Fields plays well and he looks good, that I think he can single handedly drag Chicago to a much better outlook than people have been thinking all along. Like he is, he's that talented, a, uh, a, an athlete, a quarterback. The dude has elite athleticism, straight line speed, running ability. He's got an elite arm. He can make all those plays. If you actually work with him as an offense in a way that it looks like they're doing this year. And it looks like Nagy wasn't doing last year. You know, he's got just enough around him that the bears can hang in a way that people weren't, didn't think was an option heading into the season. So I think Justin Fields playing that way, I think the Bears cover seven, particularly in crappy weather. All right. You're taking Chicago. I am taking the Niners to cover the seven on the road. New Orleans Saints at the Atlanta Falcons. The Saints are favored by five and a half on the road here. Another, you know, fresh look here. Marcus Mariota taking over at quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. Jameis Winston back for the New Orleans Saints. The Saints, one of those teams, I just described them on a different radio hit earlier today. Like Early in the offseason, it was like, oh, they're $3 billion over the cap, and how are they going to do this? And the post-Drew Brees era is going to be terrible. And here we are, opening week, and you look at that roster, it's like, hmm, they did a good job. They did a good job getting it back on track. Even if it's not across the board, maybe the same level they've had in recent years, I, I think the Saints could have the best defense in the league this year. So, um, again, Great job by the Saints, I think, from a team-building standpoint. Isn't that the same story every year? Like, the Saints are the broken record in terms of analysis, where every year somebody takes a look at the -the over-the-cap cap space number, sees, like, minus, you know, 85 million next to the Saints, and they're like, oh, this is the year. Salary cap hell, the Drew Brees kicking the can down the road. It's finally come back to haunt. This is the year they're done. And every year they just clear the, the debt. They clear the credit card, you know, number. They pay it off, and they reload. Like, this is the way they operate with the salary cap. And it doesn't matter how many years we see the process happen, we, we launch straight back into the same narrative. It's ridiculous. They open, up, they open up a new card. They throw the balance onto the fresh 0% card, and then you max that one out. And, they, yeah, they, 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 they do a good job with that. Yeah, it's like- but I, I, I love the Saints secondary, man. I, I, they lose Marcus Williams, who I think is fantastic at free safety. But Tyron Matthew... Um, I'm not sure what's happening with Marcus May there, but Matthew in, Marshawn Lattimore there, Bradley Roby, Paulson Adebo. I, I think they've got just so much potential there, even without Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, to just be one of the best in the league. Yeah, I mean, the Saints might have one of the best rosters in the NFL. The problem is that they're arguably their biggest weakness is quarterback, and they don't have the magician as a head coach in Sean Payton anymore, so the level that you can expect the quarterback to be improved simply because of the coaching is probably lower than it's been in the last decade or so. So there's reasons not to love the Saints. But if you just looked at the roster, you would be like, oh, this is one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, I, I this I, Saints are all good. I'm, I'm all for New Orleans. But the thing that I really want to watch in this game is, like this Atlanta offense has the potential to be just so fun to watch. What, between Marcus Mariota, 
between the, the unique playmakers that they can deploy, Kyle Pitts, Cordero Patterson, um, you know, Drake London, all these guys that they have. Like, this could be such a fun offense to watch, and this is our, our – I think they're actually going to play into that. I hope Drake London's healthy. He's been limited uh, as of record time right now with a knee. But as we had said a few times during the offseason, the size that Kyle Pitts brings to the table, the size of Drake London – Brian Edwards, once the fourth quarter rolls around and the size that he has could be awesome. Right. And another one, every year you see, you hear Steve just say, that's me, uh, mm-hmm. Nick Foles, new data points and Teddy Bridgewater, new data points. And at the end of the day, the data points look, a, look a lot similar, right? Teddy Bridgewater kind of is who he is. Nick Foles is who he is. The one time that wasn't the case was Ryan Tannehill and Ryan Tannehill comes into Tennessee and, just change the narrative. He went from above average starter to very good NFL starter. And it was Arthur Smith who started that. And Arthur Smith is still is here. It was Marcus Mariota who Tannehill replaced. Can Mariota have a similar, you know, rejuvenation to his career? More Marcus Mariota data points. The first time we get to see him in a, as a starter in a new place. He's got his old coach, the same one that essentially they benched him, but can they rejuvenate Mariota? Because, look, I don't think Mariota was a disaster. He just continually led this 9-7 and seven type of team uh, in Tennessee, and then Tannehill you know, got them over the hump. Can Mariota do something similar in Atlanta and just you know, take a step forward and be a little bit more consistent throwing the ball? Yeah, they're going to make a call on Drake London on Saturday. Um, it would be huge for them if they did have him in the game um, because for a couple of reasons. Obviously, he's their number one pick. He's a theoretically really big impactful playmaker for them i think we saw five snaps of preseason but the snap where he got hurt we saw how they're going to use him you know in breaking routes use his size his his ability to, to run after the catch and just get the ball in his hands but the second reason it's big in this game in particular is because if they don't have him you're gonna see marshawn Lattimore put on kyle pitts basically all game and marshawn Lattimore thrives against players like that you know Kyle Pitts uh, Mike Evans like those big physical receivers that those are the players that Marshawn Lattimore is at his very best against and when he's playing those guys he might be the best cornerback in the NFL against that type of receiver big physical guys who he can just beat up all day long and we saw last season Kyle Pitts was technically a tight end but Lattimore was the guy that covered him the most during the two games they played. And in two games, he caught like 22 yards worth of passes. So if they don't have London out there, you're probably not just going to see the absence of London's production, but you're probably also going to see Pitts massively limited because Lattimore will get him. Um, and that does leave that Falcons offense a little bit toothless. But if he's out there, you know, Lattimore can only cover one of those guys at once, add in the other playmakers they've got, and that is some fun to work with. Great. It's a great matchup there, Sam. And look, I, I think that's kind of the story of Atlanta right now. I, I, I think I like where they're heading. Um, they were already going to be working behind the eight ball as far as dead cap space and roster building. I look at their defense. There's only three players there with above average uh, wins above replacement that are that are uh, in that starting lineup you know, over these last couple of years. Whereas the Saints have eight players, you know. So I just think the Saints. Um, they're better across the board. And, and the Falcons, as you mentioned, if they don't have Drake London, the, the trickle down, there's, the, the depth just isn't there yet. So I like the Saints uh, to win and to cover the five and a half here on the road. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think admittedly, as much as I like the uh, as much as I like the Falcons offense to be pretty fun, I think the Saints are just better and they'll cover. 
I think you did a good job here in week one. I think I see 16 total games. That's uh, that's all of them, right? So believe it or not, we're three quarters of the way through, about three quarters of the way through the entire show and all the previews. So well done. Four games left to discuss. Baltimore Ravens at the New York Jets. Another revenge game, Sam. It is just QB revenge week with Joe Flacco getting the start against the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens. The uh, Ravens are favored on the road by seven. The Ravens lost last year on opening day. Is, a walk-off. They lost on Monday Night Football against the Raiders. What's the bigger and, uh, Joe Flacco revenge element to this game, facing Baltimore or the fact that we took him out of the the intro of the show? I know. We should get Flacco back in there. Well, if depending on what happens Sunday, we should we should sneak Flacco back in. At least for the uh, for the recap show. Well, we got to pay attention for the next, you know, Joe Flacco all, rant, and then put that in there. All I'm saying is the Ravens had had this run in Week One where they just beat everybody by like a million, and then they lost last year. But Week One Ravens, just like preseason Ravens, uh, really, really good, unbeatable. So uh, Ravens by seven at the Jets. Jets a lot of there's a positive offseason, a good draft, some some shrewd moves, rosters moving in the right direction, but they have Flacco under center. We still have questions about Zach Wilson when he comes back. Are the Jets ready to compete here with the Ravens? Yeah, it was a positive offseason right up until we got to the Zach Wilson injury, really. And since then, it's kind of been negative. So, you know, there was this argument at draft time about whether the Jets actually had a good draft or whether they simply drafted high a lot of times. Um, And the people that argued that they just drafted high a lot of times are pointing to their current depth chart which only has sauce Gardner as a starter amongst those young guys you know jermaine johnson not starting because carl lawson's back um garrett wilson not starting because of the the rest of that receiving core um Brees hall not starting michael carter's there so i, I think ultimately it, it doesn't matter all those guys are going to you know contribute they're all going to be factors pass rush is a rotation these days it doesn't really matter if johnson is starting or just rotated in running back is always by committee these days again doesn't really matter if he's starting or not wide receiver is a platoon position there's again, a narrative about the depth chart that's weird oh yeah um so but the the sort of the, the recent stuff with the Jets has been a little bit negative. Obviously, the fact that they're starting Joe Flacco is not a particularly inspiring place to be. You know, Joe Flacco is Joe Flacco for a reason. Um, but then the, the same thing is kind of true with Baltimore as you've gone towards the season. All of a sudden, still no J.K. Dobbins. Remember, he had that like bite back at Ian Rappaport suggesting that he might start the training camp on the PUP or whatever on the pup list. All of a sudden, he's weeks away if you listen to Lamar Jackson's press conference. Um, Ronnie Stanley is still a question mark. He's only sort of just getting back there. He might not play this week. That's now that's now like a two-year injury for Ronnie Stanley. I mean, we're reaching the point where I don't know if you can even count on him coming back healthy, like ever, you know? It, it, that's what makes a lot of this so tough to analyze. I mean, because... I'm joking about people making comments about the depth chart because you know that backups play and three, you know, four receivers are going to play and all that stuff. But the depth with the depth chart matters is when all these injuries hit, and that's what derailed Baltimore season, and that's maybe what has vaulted the Rams to a Super Bowl is their ability to stay healthy. So um, that's the tough thing to to really identify. I think the Jets' depth is much better. I mean, it, it is better. They can handle some of these injuries 
better than they have before. I think the Ravens can as well, but they they do start to add up. And um, I want to see the Ravens rookies. I want to see Kyle Hamilton run around and where he's playing and and what he's doing there. So I I think there's there's a lot of fun stuff to watch here. Lamar Jackson coming back. My biggest question mark, though, the Jets had games where they just looked incompetent defensively last year, giving up 50-plus a couple times. The Ravens have that type of ability, right, from a Ronnie Stanley or not. From a run game perspective, Lamar, what they what they can do to keep defenses off balance, can the Jets hold up in the trenches? And even if they're competitive and lose this game, I think that'll say a lot for what they can do this year. I think it's a telling game for the Jets to show that they can hang with a Ravens team that is just uh, that should be better across the board. Yeah, the the thing is though, the Baltimore they're very one dimensional now. You know, they Rashad... they might be, but we don't uh, They might be like, they're They are tough to figure out because in 2019, if you looked on paper and said, how are they going to pass the ball? They were the most efficient passing team that year with with Mark Andrews and, you know, who else, you know, catching the ball. It was it was the tight ends and Lamar was fantastic. And, um, and maybe defenses have adjusted a little bit to that. But I, I don't know if the Ravens need the names like we like to list. I want the four names at receiver. I don't know if the Ravens need that. It'd still be better, but yeah, um, yeah they need guys to step up. But I mean more. But they might have it in Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews, and say Isaiah Likely as as the third option. I just mean yeah, in terms of options, you know, with they're without J.K. Dobbins, they're they're down to Mike Davis as their primary running back. The the Lamar Jackson thing obviously is a unique threat, but I think teams have gotten better at containing Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's quite as big a problem for teams as he was in 2019, say. You know, he's he's a different uh he's a different prospect for defenses. They understand better how to contain that, which is just an inevitable part of the constant chess game of or cat and mouse game between offense and defense. The longer you do one thing, the better the NFL the opposition understands how to stop it. Um Rashad Bateman is really their only wide receiver. Um Okay, tight end is definitely a factor. Mark Andrews is is great. Isaiah likely looked phenomenal in preseason. But, you know, there is a very distinct blueprint now in how Baltimore is going to run this offense and therefore how you're going to try and stop it. And a guy like Sauce Gardner potentially changes the entire equation because you can just put him on Bateman and say bye-bye, potentially. And and again, you're you're making Baltimore's number of ways to win – a lot more limited than when everybody was healthy. All right, man, where are you going with this one? Baltimore favored by seven on the road in New York here. Yeah, I don't I don't love it, but I'm going to go with Baltimore still, even though I've just thrown a wet blanket all over the team. Um, I think ultimately the you fact You just is, say it's, it's you don't have the Joe, you know, it's Joe Flacco, man. I mean, really, that's the thing, right? Ultimately, as much as there might be problems with Baltimore, the Raven or the Jets are about to trot out Joe Flacco for a game in, in 2022. And um, you see the little clip of Joe Flacco explaining how his son was like ripping him. Like Joe Flacco's no. son was telling him how he stank. You know? Oh, that's awesome. And look at Joe Flacco becoming so likable old in in his old age here. I mean, I'm just saying. I think his son might have been onto something. You know? <laughs> You're mean sometimes, dude. Um, as is his son. I'm just. So kinda, I'll take the Raven. Week one angry. Ravens. They're you always still have prepared. To watch Joe Flacco. Um, Jets and the Jets and the Lions. I want to believe in both of those teams. Like those, those are two teams I want to believe in this year. I just wonder if it's going to take a few weeks for us to really see it. That, that those those teams that are in the middle of the rebuild. So give me the give me the Ravens to cover the seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York Giants at the Tennessee Titans. Titans favored by five and a half here. Uh, 
speaking of rebuilding, you've got the Giants. They've got the overhaul head coach and GM, Daniel Jones, back at quarterback. And then the Tennessee Titans, another one of those handful of teams where the offseason just doesn't feel great. Losing A.J. Brown. You've got Harold Landry now out for the season with the ACL. So the Titans coming off their number one seed. But you got Mike Vrabel keeping it all together there in Tennessee. Yeah, the the Titans feel a little bit like Arizona's defense to me and that I don't quite understand how it functions, but it's been functioning for so long that I kind of want to give it the benefit of the doubt. You know, you look at, you mentioned Arizona's secondary. It, it looks horrendous on paper, but it did all last season as well, and it played fine. So the longer that happens, the more I'm inclined to say, okay, I don't understand why this functions, but I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to assume it is going to continue to work. You know, it's like, like a lot of the things in your life, right? I don't understand how a computer works, but it works. Every time I press the button, it turns on, and so I don't ask questions. It's kind of how I feel about the Titans or the Arizona defense. Um, so with that in mind, I'm, I'm reluctant to bet away from Tennessee. But if I do put on you know, the analysis hat and I look at this and they say, new Giants offense, you know, Daniel Jones in a, in a – not even a make-or-break year, just a kind of can-you-avoid-breaking year. Um, I think Andrew Thomas is a very good left tackle at this point. Evan Neal is supposed to be the answer on the other side, but looked uh, a work in progress in preseason. With the injury to Harold Landry, with Bad Dupree as the starter on the other side, with Rashad Weaver, who didn't play a snap last season, but has some potential. I mean, can the Titans get any pressure at all? on this Giants offense. Like, sneakily, this could be a pretty nice introduction to the new Brian Dayball regime here in New York, and all of a sudden this offense actually starts the season and we're back writing apology letters to Daniel Jones, you know, based off that. I, I agree with you on paper because of the names, but at the same time, the, ton, the Titans, you know, like you said, you, you just know that they work. The defense is kind of the same way. I just know that they get pressure. It's it's unblocked. It's they they scheme it up. They they sacked Joe Burrow uh, the nine times in the playoff game, and that they had games like that where they just created a ton of pressure up front, and they had one of the highest unblocked pressure rates in the NFL last season. So I think we'll see the Tennessee Titans get after it a little bit. But yeah, I think the Giants' O line has a chance to to pull off the creep back toward average. A lot depends on Evan Neal and and where he lands. But you know they brought in Mark Lewinsky as well to play guard. And the Giants were just never healthy last year as far as playmakers go. And, and it's another one of those. I, I don't know what to make of Kenny Galladay, but the name value is there. Kadarius Tony, he's got the one incredible game. Uh, Sterling Shepard's making his miraculous cover, uh, recovery from the Achilles injury. We'll see what, what he can do. But Wandell Robinson, the rookie, they've got playmakers, man. And if, if Brian Dable is as good as we think he is, which is good enough to become the new head coach, right? Which was good enough to get Josh Allen back on track and to create offense and find ways to get all these playmakers involved. I think the giants will move the ball. I think they've got a chance to move the ball and they will be much improved. I don't know if it's enough to save Daniel Jones job or any of that, but I'm just talking for this week. I think they'll do a pretty nice job uh, of creating some offense or they have the potential to with, with some of those playmakers. Yeah. I, I do think there's, it's a sneaky game for the giants offense actually looking reasonable. Um, but as I said, I'm just, I'm done betting against the Titans based off how it looks. You know, I don't yeah. I don't quite understand why it functions, but it does function and it's been functioning for longer than it has any reason to if it's going to regress or if it's just variance. So, I'm buying into Tennessee even at five and a half points. 
All right, I'm going to take the Giants to cover the five and a half at home. I think they'll do some nice things offensively. Titans are a better team. Tannehill will be fine. I uh, can't wait to see what that receiving core looks like, though, without A.J. Brown. Can Robert Woods and some of the younger guys step up there? Um, they'll do enough to win, but I'll take the Giants to cover. All right. Two more games, man. Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans. The Colts are favored by seven on the road against the Texans. What are you looking for in this one? Um, so... You know, the Colts have been a kind of fashionable team this offseason. I think people have been buying into them, particularly as it relates to Tennessee. But And they have a good team, kind of top to bottom roster-wise. But there's just enough weak areas that I kind of like the idea that the, the Texans could cause them some problems in this game. Um, and I think in particular, like Houston all of a sudden has a pass rush, and the Colts are going to be starting Matt Pryor, left tackle. Like, they can be get after, got after, I think. Yeah, I mean, from a Texan standpoint, I thought their their preseason pass rush did look fantastic, as you mentioned. I want to see Derek Stingley out there. I want to see some of the guys. I didn't want to see anybody last year for Houston. I didn't think anybody was going to be a part of the, the rebuilding effort, right? It's like, all right, these guys are Texans for this year and maybe next, and they're moving on. They have a, We have a chance to see who the future Texans are and what they're going to look like in the future. That part's going to be fun. The The Colts hype is fascinating to me because it's, it's not because of the roster. It's just so many people believe in Matt Ryan. And even at his age, creeping up towards our age here, Sam, it's just, well, he just, he knows where we want to be and he's going to run this offense better. And we joked about the Colts a couple of years ago, just cycling through one year quarterbacks and, and they've literally done it right with Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz. And now here we are at Matt Ryan. And, and I just think they feel so good about having Matt Ryan over Carson Wentz from last year and Wentz, look, let's not have revisionist history here. The, the Colts weren't a disaster offensively, right? Jonathan Taylor was in the MVP race because they were producing touchdowns and they were fourth or fifth in the league in scoring last year. If you're just using total points, they weren't a disaster offensively, but now you, Matt Ryan should be an upgrade. I'm not, I'm not sure it's a massive upgrade, but it should be an upgrade over Carson Wentz at the very least distribute the ball, get Michael Pittman involved, get some of the tight ends involved, let Jonathan Taylor do his thing. So that's where the intrigue is coming from the Colts, plus a, plus some better pass rush, I think, on the other side with some moves they've made. So I like the Colts. I, I'm, I've been back and forth on this one. Seven points is a lot, but I like the Colts to uh, to cover against the Texans here. Ryan, I don't is, know if the Texans are ready. Ryan is just such a difficult quarterback to pin down because, you know, okay, the, the grade overall last season was kind of middling, 75-ish, um, but we had like five elite games we had another three that were pretty disastrous, and then we had a bunch of below-average games. It looked a lot like, remember when Philip Rivers was reaching the end, and it was, you were either going to get amazing Philip Rivers or terrible Philip Rivers, nothing in the middle, and it would kind of shake out to above-average over the course of the year. The, the, the Colts have almost traded a guy who probably had a lower baseline in Wentz last season, um, but as, you know, and still had the terrible games, but didn't have as many amazing ones for Matt Ryan, who is probably going to have more terrible games, um, more great games, and maybe the baseline because of that sort of shakes out to an upgrade. But it, it's a it's a very interesting dynamic now they have a quarterback because Ryan has shown in those elite games that he's still capable of having great performances, that he's still capable of leading a really good offense. But he also had three games with three turnover-worthy plays. They had two more with multiple turnover-worthy plays. It, it's it's going to be a roller coaster for Matt Ryan. 
Yeah, my whole thing, we get a lot of uh, fans ask questions about our grades and how we weigh them and how we use them. And it, But a lot of the analysis, when fans throw the grades at us, it's like, well, last year, here's the number, right? Last year, this guy graded at this number and this guy graded at that number. But it goes to more than that. Like, if you just look at the careers of Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz, we're talking about Matt Ryan in this dip in his career with these mid-70s grades, which is essentially where Carson Wentz has settled into. You know, we're two years removed from from Matt Ryan grading at 83, which is pretty close to Carson Wentz's peak, which was that 2017 MVP caliber season that we always talk about, right? So I, that's that, that's a lot of the point of using the grades is you can't just use one year. I think Matt Ryan's baseline is higher. It might be a roller coaster, but he's going to bring more consistency, um, still more consistency, but you can still have some bad games in there as well, right? I, I, like in-game throw-for-throw consistency will be there, even though Matt Ryan at his age could still have some bad games, some bad weather games, some outdoor games, whatever it might be, if that all makes sense. The baseline is higher for the Colts. They were a fringe playoff team last year. I think they'll be better, and I like them to cover this week by seven. Um. Yeah, I... Uh, I, I think they will be better, but I am buying into the idea that Houston can cause them problems in week one and that they will cover seven points. All right, last game of the week, Jacksonville Jaguars at the Washington Commanders, the Commanders' debut. And, uh, boy, I got suckered in last year. I think every single week I just took Jacksonville. Oh, they'll, they'll <laughs> definitely be better. They'll definitely be better. And here I am again, Jacksonville, two-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road against the Commanders, and I'm like, no, there's no way. It won't be as bad as Urban Meyer's Jaguars, and Trevor Lawrence is going to be better, and Doug Peterson is going to get them back on track. So here I am picking the Jags again like I did all last year. Good work. Um, yeah, look, I I think everyone's going to be focusing on the Jacksonville offense. Trevor Lawrence, can they take a giant leap forward versus the dumpster fire from last year? I'm actually kind of intrigued by the other side of the ball, though. Jacksonville's defense with – the players that they've assembled and, you know, can they cause this Washington offense some real problems? Because, you know, obviously um, Trayvon Walker is the this kind of focus of the offseason, the number one overall pick, the, the unique athleticism and physical tools that he brings to the table versus average production in college at best. Same kind of story in preseason, right? You watch this tape and the, the ability that he has – Obviously flashed, but you watch the kind of sum totality of it all, and you're like, eh, okay. Um, Devin Lloyd, uh, another rookie that they added, but you've got Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen, former first-round pick. All of a sudden, you've got Caleb on Chase on who hasn't really done much at all, but you bring in a guy like uh, Arden Key, who actually has turned into like a legit pass rusher all of a sudden. So... When they start- bulked him up. He was playing on the interior a little bit more last year. Yeah. Yeah. And he really has become legit across the last couple of years. So you've got, you know, a, a, a unique freak in terms of athleticism like Trayvon Walker. You've got a pretty good player in Josh Allen. You've now got another pretty good player in Arden Key. And even if Caleb on Chason is just a swing and a miss and a guy that's not going to factor, you've got players that can cause some problems, particularly when you add in like some real interior kind of strength up the middle and and your guy Fatakasi um like this Jacksonville defense actually has some pieces I think to be to be an interesting watch for a team like Washington that you know they've now got Carson Wentz a quarterback they lost one of their offensive linemen to Jacksonville and Brandon Scherf it's just that that could creak pretty quickly yeah I mean Washington was good up front but you mentioned the the loss of Scherf and you, you mentioned how Jacksonville all offseason maybe didn't seem like they had a plan 
because they added so many pieces. But I think all of that's going to add up to them just being a, a, a just a better squad. I, I am looking forward to seeing that pass rush and how they deploy Trayvon Walker and all those guys that you mentioned. Um, the potential's there. I, I want to see Trevor Lawrence development. It was it was a bad situation, but also disappointing last year. It was also just disappointing. I don't know that they have the playmakers. Um, they're not bad per se. Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones. If Zay plays as well as he did down the stretch, like he did last year, he was fantastic. I don't know if that's enough to say, okay, them plus Trevor Lawrence. Okay. We're going to the playoffs or anything like that, but it should be better. Get to see Travis Etienne make his NFL debut. I'm excited from a Jags perspective. I think a lot of that should be better. And um, I'm not as, even though I was just talking about how Matt Ryan's an upgrade over Carson Wentz, I'm not as down on Carson Wentz as you might be. Yeah, generally, I think he can he can improve what Washington had at quarterback last year. J- Terry McLaurin might have a running mate now with Jahan Dotson on the other side and Curtis Samuel now, um, hopefully healthy and, and working out of the slot where he's at his best. And, and Washington is one year removed from having the best defensive line in the NFL, and they have a lot of the same pieces there. So I don't think Washington's a pushover by any means. They're favored by two and a half here, um, but. I like the way I, I think Jacksonville is going to show that they're uh, they're a different team. They're going to show it right away. Yeah, look, I I think Carson Wentz will absolutely be a re- pretty significant upgrade over Taylor Heineke last year because Heineke last year was pretty bad. Um, but I think there's some reasons to be concerned about Washington on both sides of the ball. The offense with Carson Wentz there, the defense. As much as the talent level, I think, is still good on an individual player level. As you said, the defensive line. They've got players in the secondary that should be good. The volume and frequency of coverage busts and just general breakdowns in that defense has reached a concerning level. You know, last season, it happens all year, and it's particularly bad on, like, third down. You could be forgiven for saying, okay, that's just a weird confluence of events that's not going to repeat itself. You know, it's just a just a run of weird variants. It starts happening again in preseason. Okay, it's only preseason, but the data points are growing and all of a sudden we're starting to look, okay, well, if it's happening this regularly and this frequently, who takes the blame? And it tends to go, well, who's the coach, you know? So I, I don't know if this Washington defense is going to realize the potential that it has given the way it's currently set up. So I'm worried, but I still think that they're a better team than Jacksonville enough to cover it. Just just looking at my depth chart here, the on-paper story for Washington, why people liked them last year. Uh, if I just look at their three-year war, like I did earlier with another team, I mean, they six or seven guys above average. You know, so like the three-year sample of the players on that team should be good, but last year's sample was bad. So how much do they, you know, they, they, they might have bounce-back potential here is what I'm saying, Washington's defense. But not this week. Not this week against Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson, and the Jags. That's it. 16 games in the books. We did it under two hours, Sam. Yeah. We can do it. That's about our pace, I think, for the preview. So get ready all season, guys. Thursdays at noon, live on YouTube. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Don't forget, hit that like button so all your friends can see it too. People you don't even know. Uh, YouTube will say, hey, go watch this. This is how you get ready for the NFL season. Appreciate everybody doing that. Check out the pinned tweet that Sam has also in the description. Somebody, how you uh... guys can... Uh, Contribute. I'm not going to give See his name. Sam try in case, to throw the ball 60 miles an hour. Yeah, I'm not going to give his name in case he doesn't want that. But somebody came in with the exact amount that we needed to hit the final goal during the show. Oh, we We're did now it. at goal, $2,500, which means we are ready to baseball.
Um, All right, let's get Sulfara Sulf. Lock it up, man. Let's poppers. get uh, let's get the Great American Ballpark or something. Um, uh, you know, and by the way, there. people on Twitter were doing the math for me. They think that that the uh, the John Daly pitch was somewhere around fifty miles an hour. Fifty one was one suggestion. Forty seven <laughs> was another suggestion. So in that kind of ballpark, in the fifty mile per hour range, he is he is an elite professional athlete. Stop Sam. it. An elite professional athlete, Stop. much like David Wells. David Wells was out there chucking it with a similar body type, 90 uh-huh. mile an hour thrower. I mean, Don't look, underestimate. You got a lot of weight behind him. That's John true. Daly. That, that helps true. with velocity. They did. Somebody did point out that there is a pretty strong correlation between weight, size, inertia, and yes. throwing power. Now, Daly yep. absolutely has an advantage over me there. Having said that, I'm only heading in the right direction from that point of view. You know, the mass is only going upwards. So I, I like my chances of being able to throw 10 miles an hour faster than daily managed there. That's all I'm saying. I appreciate your confidence and I'm excited. I appreciate everybody that did contribute to this and we get to see it. So uh, we'll get that set up and that'll be uh, the next charity drive. Get to see what happens. All right. We're going to be back here Monday morning with actual football to recap. We'll go through all 15 of the Thursday to Sunday games. Monday morning, 7 a.m. live here on YouTube. Don't forget, on your way out, thumbs up and download the PFF app. All the goodies continue to show up, including the start sit portion of our fantasy suite. Going to be right there on the app, so go check it out right now. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Monday. Monday.